Welcome to So You Want to Talk About, a podcast where we have critical conversations in an intimate way. We're your hosts, Julie and Cambry. Hey. Hi. How are you? I'm good. It's been a it's been a minute, so I feel a little rusty today. Right. Yeah, <laughs> a little bit me too. And our power went out earlier. Just a little update from us. <laughs> Recording in-house. <laughs> no school today. It was just a, it's kind of a, a strange day today. Yeah. <laughs> feels like a Saturday. But here we are. And it's Thursday. So. <laughs> <laughs> so you want to talk about. Being Black in America, part two. So last time we ended season one, uh, we talked a little bit about your experiences as a, as a child and kind of coming of age. And so, so how Moonlight. have you seen the movie Moonlight? Yes. I saw it with you. It's like that. <laughs> uh, so a lot of, you know, we all kind of grow into different parts of ourself. Um, everyone kind of changes and, and adjusts as we get older, some more than others, but but now as you're an adult, how do you, how do you see yourself now? Um, in comparison to where I was, I find myself very aware and actively making, um, actively making sure I feel this, that I contribute a lot more than I was told I would. So I feel a lot more valuable, um, a lot more worthy of things, a lot more like I have something to offer. And that had to come through basically rebuilding every part that they told me was not very valuable, mm. if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. So um, I feel a little bit more like I can walk into a room and have something to say that's that's worth listening to rather than being quiet and observing. Hmm. Do you feel like you, do you feel like you have the confidence to walk into a room um, to be sure of yourself and to not only have something to say, but to know that it's like truly what you believe. Well, that's sort of the funny thing. I don't mean for this to come off arrogant by any means, but I feel like I always <laughs> trigger warning. There's arrogance. <laughs> arrogance. Yeah. <laughs> I always felt that in my head. I always thought that because I observed so much and spent so much time learning, navigating this world and learning this world that of course, not everything I say has some value. Sometimes I say dumb things, but hmm, but, never. <laughs> but I always felt like because I was so quiet that, and I was so judicious about what I chose to say, mm -hmm. that when I would say something, it felt like it had some value to it. Mm -hmm. And so now I feel that just more frequently. So I do feel that I'm, you know, the things that I have to say are a little bit more, um, the, the, Value I saw in myself has changed, but the value behind my words is not. Hmm. So I always felt like I had something to to tell people. Mm -hmm. It was just a matter of me opening my mouth and feeling comfortable in the space to say it. Hmm. In a space that they told me not to speak, really. Yeah, it feels like a lot has, has changed um, yeah. from then to now. I remember, I remember on our first date, and you said... Uh, I'm not sure the right word. I guess confidently. You said, yeah, I don't know who I am. And I thought, hmm, 
I'm not sure I would say that confidently. <laughs> On a first date. And we're and, still here today. It works. Anyone who's listening, first words. I don't know who I am. But I remember being very confused by that. Um, one, I remember thinking, oh, I know who I am. I need someone to know who they are. But I also uh-huh. thought, I think he does. And the reason I say that is because you showed what you just talked about with me mm-hmm. on that first date. You seemed very self-assured. You seemed very convicted, um, knowledgeable, confident, all these things of like a very self-assured person, someone who, who knows who they are would exude. Right. And so it, it kind of, it, it didn't, it was the anomaly of all the pieces of our conversation. It was like, mm, that just does, doesn't make sense with everything else. I see what you're saying. Uh, I, it was more probably I knew who I was or I, I wasn't sure who I could be. Hmm. It was probably a better way to phrase it. Um, because deep down, and we've had discussions about this, but deep down I knew who I was. I knew who I wanted to be. I knew the personality traits that I that I felt Mm-hmm. that I would love to exude. And maybe I did in my car on my own or in the shower or something. <laughs> but around people, I felt like I couldn't. Um, around white people, certainly, I felt like I couldn't. And so it was more letting go of this social constraint that had been thrown onto me, you know, since I was a child. Um, so I'm not sure if it was accurate to say I didn't know who I was. It was more about letting that person out because I've been told so many times, don't do those things. Mm-hmm. So how, so how help us kind of bridge that gap? How, how did you go from, cause now you, um, seem to show it more often. Um, just mm-hmm. kind of like a very unfiltered version of yourself. Yeah. Um, but even, you know, when you were a child, so how, how did, how were you able to kind of, uh, grow that assuredness to be comfortable in a space where someone had previously said, no, you don't belong or that behavior doesn't belong. Yeah. Funnily enough, I did something that I would never advise to other people, but I ran, (laughs) (laughs) I ran away from, from everybody, (laughs) anybody who resembled the authoritative figure that was telling me I couldn't be something or couldn't do something. I ran from upstate New York to New York City. I ran from New York City to Chicago, from Chicago to LA, LA to Atlanta. I think I reversed those, but (laughs) um, I just ran away. And in my running, I was observing other people. Mm. I was observing other black people and how they maneuvered in these in these cities, I had a little bit more of their representation, more of our representation. And so while I was in these four, however many cities I was in, I was just collecting. It felt like I was collecting data <laughs> a little bit. Um, I always felt like when I left a city, I took a part of it with me and I could just attach it to as I was rebuilding myself. Because that's all this the last six years have been. I've just been um, allowing myself to be kind of disassembled so mm-hmm. I could reassemble the way that I wanted to. And I don't remember necessarily making that an active choice, Mm -hmm. but I do remember oftentimes looking and thinking, um, I don't really like what the mirror is showing me Mm. um, because it was never authentic. Can you give us an example? Yeah. um, 
like we'd never i had never seen a goofy black male i'd seen a funny one but i'd never seen like a silly whimsical whimsical peter pan yeah um (laughs) (laughs) yeah peter pan and not even on tv and i i remember um because that's the profession that we're in now it never dawned on me like i would always see white characters like that Mm -hmm. like a silly goofy like neil patrick harris and how i met your mother Mm -hmm. like i'd never seen a black character like that Mm -hmm. but that's how i felt (laughs) i just wanted to do silly stuff yeah and you just wanted to be barney yeah uh maybe not completely (laughs) um yeah but i just felt because i didn't have that representation i i couldn't and of Mm -hmm. course in the black community you're you are told adamantly not to show any kind of weakness both for your peers or toward your peers or toward um, anyone else and so that's a big reason why you don't see a lot of us very silly or whimsical is because we're showing other people a side of us that um, can come off as threatening but it's really just a self-defense mechanism and so uh, that's probably the best example because I remember going to these cities and finding I would just gravitate toward people who were funny who didn't mind being Hmm. made fun of who didn't mind uh looking dumb and i always thought that that was the most confident you could be not Mm -hmm. someone who was stern and and never talked and anything like that which is what i was pretending because as a kid that's your version of confidence and it's very uh uninviting of criticism because if you're quiet no one could tell you're doing anything wrong no one wants to ask you any questions they're all kind of uh scared of you but as i kind of grew up and I saw these black people who were a lot more silly um I just took pieces of that and made it my own and that was the first time that it felt right Mm. and so um, that's probably the best example so do you feel like there's any particular piece of you that uh, you saw someone else do and you thought ah I I want to do that right now um, just in your journey, was there anything that you saw someone else do and you thought, that feels right to me. I want to take that piece and make it my own. Well, some people would do, that's kind of how I came to want to pursue um, filmmaking and comedy also hmm. is because I saw people being or doing that, um, which wasn't necessarily a personality trait. It was more what their interests were. But I remember the first time I saw improv in Chicago. And for those who don't know, Chicago is like the, we could do a whole, I could do a whole episode on that for sure. <laughs> um, but it's like a big place for improv. All your favorite SNL people went through there. And I remember the first time I saw it and there was this really um, just grandiose theatrical black guy on stage just making stuff up and making the crowd laugh. And I thought, this is, I want everything that he is. <laughs> uh, and it was the first time that I, you know how some people say, um, the first time I did something I love, I felt that thing in my heart. It wasn't when I did it, it was when I saw it. Hmm. And I felt like now I feel this, uh, what camera's supposed to be is coming out. Mm-hmm. And so I took that with me for sure. So, so it feels like there were lots of different things that maybe you tried or kind of played with mm-hmm. to, to, to figure out, did it speak to you or... Did it feel right when you allowed yourself to do it? Were there spaces that were easier or harder to do that in? To be yourself 
or try out these pieces of yourself that maybe you wouldn't typically um, show because it's something new that felt right for you, but you're like just trying to let it out. Oh, a space that might have rejected it? Either a space that rejected it and so it was difficult for you to share it or a space that was easier and so you did it more often. Hmm. Yeah, there were people that um, sort of accepted me in certain, like I said, I was I was gravitating toward these people, thankfully, that were a little bit more toward what, who I wanted to be. Mm-hmm. Um, and a lot of them were black. And so I always felt like I was accepted there. Mm-hmm. And so I could come out a little bit more of my shell. But I do remember actively thinking, I can't stay in this too long because it might be hard for me to switch back. And black people know that because white is the default world, mm-hmm. you can't stay out of it too long because mm-hmm. you have to be able to, that has to be your... Because you have to operate within it. By default. And so I remember jumping in between these worlds. It's just like code switching when I was a kid, but this is like, uh, it felt bigger than that. Mm-hmm. Um, so I remember in those spaces, I was a lot more accepted than in childhood. And now it feels like I've grown enough conviction to not so much care if I am accepted mm. in certain spaces because I realize that White might be the default for now. Mm-hmm. I think there's a growing change in that. Mm-hmm. And it's not even to to take away white as a default. It's really to just add, expand mm-hmm. the default. But um, now I'm getting, I'm getting a lot more confidence in blackness and showing blackness all the time. And so that could be through at work or out with me or... Right. Do you feel like there are any... That when you think about these spaces, do you feel like there might be any relationships or um, or or spaces that have like reinforced parts, like certain parts of your identity that you really love, or potentially reinforced things that maybe you don't really want to be, but you feel like you have to be in certain spaces? Yeah. So I think. Sorry, that was a big question. No, that's okay. Just existential crisis. I think. Um, <laughs> certain when you hang out in these spaces whether they be black or white and you get you dive deeper and deeper you begin to see how wide they are Mm -hmm. you know certain people might have a certain perception of black people that's very surface level but as you hang out with them more you of course um, that knowledge expands and so i was with a black crowd for a while and i began to see certain depths of it that were i would say forced upon them that caused them to act in certain ways that Mm -hmm. i didn't want to do um not because it was it was necessarily wrong to me more because it just wasn't who I sure <laughs> some elements of of black culture or any culture is just not for me I think that's uh I think it's important to acknowledge that though because um just to kind of uh show it for you know from like my perspective that I had tons of different ways of behaving that were very much shown to me in white culture mm-hmm. I could be a huge variety of different white identities. Right. Um, and because of, because of that, it's normal to not within white culture to not be, um, to have one stereotype because there are so many things like mm-hmm. you see it on TV. You could have, you know, a white skateboarder, a white, um, singer, a, a white, you know, athletic personality, that I could do any of those things. Yeah. But um, 
that I think that it's important to acknowledge that that also exists within every other culture is that there are different identities and that not all people kind of fit within the one spectrum. Yeah. And it's frustrating that when there's this very deep sense of individuality with white culture and what's interesting about it is the individuality is internal Mm -hmm. in terms of like, uh, your actions are your own responsibility, mm-hmm. all that stuff. But it's also external in the way you see other cultures. It's mm-hmm. a way that white people see another culture, find the worst in it, mm-hmm. and assume that everyone in that culture is like that. Right, they apply it to the whole. And then they assume that the people who are good or closest to their culture are the anomalies, mm-hmm. are the ones that are good for black, good for, his, you know, whatever. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and so uh, you're right. I do think it's important to acknowledge the depths and, and the Various, you know, maybe. Yeah. Um, that are in all cultures, but especially black cultures, because again, I hadn't seen that growing up. Exactly. And so once I became privy to that, I just wanted to hang out with, with those people. But that's sort of the important thing about black people is you have to not only embrace blackness, then you have to embrace who you are mm-hmm. within blackness. And like we just learned, blackness is so big mm-hmm. that it's hard to just jump in that pool and then allow yourself to, it can be overwhelming. Mm-hmm. There's certain elements of the culture I still don't know about. Um, uh. Well, I think uh, I think it also probably depends on where you grew up. Right. Um, I think about my students and where yeah. they live, and that is a very different experience um, than yours because they're around predominantly black people all day. Right. And you can kind of argue. No, I wouldn't say argue, but. I remember my dad and I were talking about it and saying that it it probably saved me mm-hmm. personally, just Cambry, to be around white people first, grow up in that environment, and then go to black people because if my sort of path was to accumulate all of these personality traits <laughs> and then go out and find myself, um, I'm not going to say it would have been bad if I did it the reversed way, but it just would have been different. Mm-hmm. And so... Thankfully, I learned how to navigate that world first and then went to to my culture. But what was so hard about that, again, is finding the pieces of blackness that fit the mold that you've built now. Mm-hmm. And there's so many pieces. And so that's kind of what this journey has been since I got to Atlanta, which is a very black city, mm-hmm. which I love. Um, but it's about uh, yanking on those pieces and not necessarily attaching them to myself anymore, but... Um, just, I don't know, I guess just seeing what fits, if mm-hmm. that makes sense. Seeing what feels right. Yeah, I had a boss who, I don't know if he'll ever listen to this, but I hope that he does. He was a 30-year-old man who acted like a a 16, I don't even, not even 16, eight? like, yeah, an eight-year-old <laughs> kid. He was just very goofy, and a lot of people would say dumb <laughs> and <laughs> funny, and I remember seeing that and thinking, how can, this looks like so confident to me. This looks, this looks way more confident than, than any other personality that I've come across because he was just so willing to look dumb in front of people. And I'd never seen a black person like that. I might've been hanging out with different people, but I still hadn't seen one like him even to this day. <laughs> and being around him and in such close proximity to him for 11 hours a day, six days a week, some of the things that he would say and do, like just dancing in the middle of an interaction, mm-hmm. are things that I like to do. And so I remember initially, I would just take his dance. 
which looks a little different on me. But then I just, as you can see now, I've yeah. made it my own and just decided to do what I, you know. But that's an example of I took one part of it and then made it my own and now allowed it to be um, Cambry, not just blackness. And do you think that um, it sounds like around this boss, you would probably be very comfortable doing right. these silly dances. But do you ever feel like there might be a relationship or or people or I would, yeah, I would say a relationship that might push you to revert back do you ever feel like that could happen well i ran so far away (laughs) that i don't see any of those people anymore i don't have those really i I have maybe three friends from high school two friends from high school and i remember one that i'd had that made me feel that way a little bit but I kind of shed that because it wasn't, it was making me revert. Mm-hmm. It wasn't his fault or anything. It was, it was, but it was something that wasn't great for me. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I don't think that I have a space now or a relationship now that would bring me back. I feel very convicted in it, but that conviction hasn't been tested. Yeah. I've been away from home for so long. So I don't even know what I would call home at this point. So I wouldn't know if I ever go back to that place. So with all, all of the adjustment and kind of really coming into your own, there it's been a long path or journey, I guess. Overnight, baby. <laughs> and I even think um, for how long I've known you, mm-hmm. how just how much we've grown as people, but but being able to watch you grow um, and become more confident about certain things Mm -hmm. has been really beautiful and and I wonder what you would say to you know second grade eight-year-old well I guess you'd probably be in like fourth grade because you're so young for your grade but um you know eight-year-old second third fourth grade Cambry um if you had to tell him one thing about about the world or about himself. You ever hear these questions asked to like uh, actors who suffered for a long time early on and they finally got this breakthrough and then they always say, I would tell myself that it's going to be okay and to just not worry. I wish I could tell myself that. Uh, <laughs> for times it was not going to be okay. Mm. For times it was going to be very painful and confusing and you're going to be ashamed for a long time. And it sucks to tell you that you need to go through that Mm. because you, I mean, you just want to protect yourself from all the pain, but you kind of have to, because if you grow up frictionless and find your person, you know, there'll just be no durability though. Again, those convictions will never be Mm -hmm. tested. And so you won't really know how strongly you feel about things. You might know how you feel, but you might not know how strongly that belief is or that personality trait is or whatever. So uh, as much as I'd want to say it'll be okay, I would honestly tell them this is going to be tough. Mm-hmm. <laughs> this is going to be a really difficult thing for you to get through all because of the color of your skin. Um, lean on your parents because no one's going to love you more than they do. And not only that, but no one's going to want to protect you more than they do. So just be careful about what you tell them. <laughs> 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 um, and kind of allow yourself to 
be immersed in as many cultures as you can because I ran so late. Mm-hmm. It would have been nice to not necessarily run early, but explore earlier. Mm-hmm. Find the people um, that feel a little different, look a little different, and then in the same way you're watching white culture, immerse yourself in that one. And then it'll help you stretch your empathy. Mm-hmm. Because um, going through this as a kid, you start to look at other kids who are treated even sim- relatively similarly, and you're like, I, f- I know exactly what that feels like. Mm-hmm. So for eight-year-old Cambria, I would say, find a girl named Julie in Kansas. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. But I would say, yeah, it might not be okay, but you can get through it. Thanks for joining us this week on So You Want to Talk About. We hope we got you talking about it. This was the start to our second season, and we appreciate everybody listening. We have quite a few episodes that we're excited about this season, so we hope you join us next week.